to be the um, first University of Montana team to to do that. I think that was it was like that's where for all of us we were like this happened. We did this. We it, and it was um, there were more blubbering, crying grown men out there on that field um and just you know it was like the perfect i love you man man i love you man it was just a love fest i just that's what i remember it's like everybody was just loving everybody then there were random fans you've never even seen or you're hugging everybody or it was it was uh it was pretty cool it was pretty special Hello, and welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Very happy in this episode to be joined by one of the outstanding members of that junior class on the 95 team, obviously then a senior on the 96 team, a member of the defensive lineman, and a graduate of Butte High School before making his way to Missoula to play for the Grizzlies, Brian Toon. Brian Toon was a defensive lineman for the University of Montana after finishing his junior and senior season in Butte. Moving around with some frequency in his childhood, prior to his time in Butte, Toon had been in Shasta, California, among other places. But finding his place on a Butte team that played for a state championship and then two Grizzly teams that played for national championships, his football career was punctuated by excellence. Perhaps most memorably, Brian Toon teamed up with Randy Riley as two Butte natives joined for a sack safety of Chad Pennington in the national championship game, two points that proved to be the final margin at the end of the day in favor of the Montana Grizzlies. Please enjoy the experiences and the memories in our conversation with the University of Montana Grizz great Brian Toon. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, and happy to welcome in one of the key defensive components of that 1995 National Championship team, another Montana native out of Butte, America, Brian Toon joining us. Brian, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we're, we're happy to have you on, and we're excited to talk to you about your time in, uh, in Missoula and obviously the 95 season and all that, but I want to go back to your days in the mining city and growing up in Butte, Montana, and Butte obviously has yeah. such a, a, a rich and, and really distinct history uh, for just about any city west of the Mississippi, and going back into the 80s and 90s especially was a town that was kind of struggling, wasn't sure if it was going to make it, obviously has made it, and more because of the mentality of people here but there but what was it like for you just growing up in that town and 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 being from Butte you know I, I had the great opportunity of of actually being an implant I actually moved to Butte so came from Spokane I moved around a bunch of different places but I grew up in Spokane uh, then moved to Corvallis Montana then Mount Shasta California and then Butte was where I ended up um, it was my junior year and uh I'll tell you what, like, I was embraced so much by that community and uh, the people and the toughness and the grit that that was just in everything that they did. I just, the quality of the people from that city um, it sticks with me, and I, and it's, it's something I'll never forget. Um, made a lot of great, dear friends, and, and uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a cool thing. What were your folks doing at the time that had you moving around a lot? So parents divorced um, when I was in the eighth grade, and then uh, I just moved. Uh, my my stepdad was a physical therapist, and so we kind of moved from, from place to place while he uh, worked in the different physical therapy practices. Got you. So it's so interesting the the evolution of Butte sports because you know turn of the century, the turn of the nineteenth into the twentieth century, Butte's obviously a boom town, and then Butte had a richer sports lineage than maybe any town in the United States of America. The first half of the twentieth century, so many great teams, so many great coaches, 
all those awesome guys like Sonny Holland and, and Jim Sweeney yeah. and Sonny Lubick, they all come out of there. But then, like Ryan mentioned, a little bit of a dip. But then I know things started rolling again back in the late 80s, early 1990s, and you got to play with a bunch of guys that had a bunch of success both in high school and in college, too. You guys won a state championship when you were in high school. Yeah, we went – we went undefeated that year. It was nine, in 1991, the, the football season, and it was those guys. Um, we still are, are connected today, but like um, to go 12 and 0 um, on in below zero weather. It was just the level of the toughness and the fight that that those guys had. It was no matter what situation we were in. Um, even if we're outmatched athletically, we ended up rising to the top, and it, it was it was cool. Um, and even to the point, coming to to Montana, um, the recruiting trips that I went on were with um, in Missoula, particularly was with Lance Allen, another great Butte uh, native, and um, that was something that was really special. It was uh, um, I'll kind of go back as coming from I was recruited to two places it was uh, Montana State and University of Montana and uh, at at Montana State I went and uh, the experience was great um, but there was something missing um, that I noticed right away with the University of Montana when I ended up going there for the recruiting trip and actually they offered me less money I was at a quarter scholarship going into uh university of montana and uh i ended up choosing them because of the camaraderie you could tell right away that the players um it was more important that you were a grizz than anything else and there weren't the clicks and the things that you would see sometimes at other college places and and it was that was the thing that drove me to go to Montana, and man, it was something that I'll, I'll I never look back on. Before we get into your time in the University of Montana, I got to ask you, what's it like winning a championship in Butte, Montana? Because I've talked to some of these guys that won the championship in 2012, which was the first one in 21, 20, I got yeah, 21 years. And you know, like Dallas Cook, the quarterback, he told me, "Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to pay for a hamburger for a year." So, <laughs> what's it like winning man, a state championship in Butte? People are pretty proud. You, there's oh so proud and that's just the thing is that city gets behind you and and uh there's nothing better than lifting being lifted up on the shoulders of of butte i mean it's it's a special place and and uh sometimes around montana it gets a bad rap but man i'll i'll tell you i I would take butte uh i'll take butte all day long Well, that's a lot of hamburgers for for yeah, I tell you what in a year. That's like, I mean, that's like seven cows right there. I think, <laughs> um, Brian, you you already said you know really two schools uh, you know really recruited you coming out of high school at, at Montana State and, and Montana, but also having been around you know in in California, in Washington, different parts of Montana as well. Did you have any consideration of of doing something else or going somewhere else just in general after school? Or was it always, hey, I want to play football. These are the two places that will let me play football. And so that's what I'm going to do, one of these two. You know, I'll tell you, I was a late bloomer when it came to uh, athletics. Uh, My stepdad was a physical therapist, which is kind of how I got – um, got the football bug, I guess. Um, uh, he would take me to the games. In fact, the, the first college game I ever went to was uh, College of the Siskiyous in Mount Shasta, California. Wow. Um, and so I got to watch those guys from the field, and I was like, man, I, I want to do this. In fact, I didn't play uh, football my freshman year of high school. Um, and so I just got started as on my sophomore year. Um, and it was I kind of realized my – through my stepdad, he, he kind of showed me that, man, you can get in the weight room and change your body. If, if you don't like how things are going, you can, you can make a difference. And uh, I took that to heart and got in the weight room and, and, uh, bit by bit, year after year, I just kept improving and, and thankfully, uh, ended up in Butte and uh, was able to be with a, a group of guys, th- that group of seniors that came out of that. It was, it's funny because they talked 
in grade school about winning a state title. They talked in middle school. They talked in their freshman year when they were in the JV squad. They talked about winning a state title. And and to be a part of that and those stories going up, that I, I, I truly think it's that believing in it and just um, and that camaraderie part. And it's funny because that's exactly what happened um, – at the University of Montana, I, we bonded uh, us seniors, the the new recruits in '92, uh, bonded at fall football camp, and uh, we would all meet in each other's rooms and and talk about what our goals were for what we wanted to achieve by the time we were seniors, and and that a national title was one of those, and and um, to see that actually come to pass was pretty special. When you decide that you're going to go to the University of Montana, like you said, in fact, you didn't even get as much of an offer as you had at Montana State, but you wanted to go there and, and, and felt like it was a better situation, the camaraderie and so forth. But for you as a player, what did you expect yourself to be or did you have expectations on what you could be if you were able to develop? Did you think that you were going to have a chance to be a starter and a, and a big-time player? Did you think that it was always going to be an uphill battle? What was your conception? Well, I knew Montana? it was going to be I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. Um, I came in as a as a linebacker and man, dude, there's some some tough dudes. So that it was uh, Mike Boucher was a linebacker. Uh, David Sermon was a linebacker. Mark Campy was a linebacker. Uh, I always looked up to Chad Lemke as a you know a middle beast of an inside linebacker, and I was like, man, that's. Uh, and then there were Garrett Venters and and all the great linebackers that came from you know Montana. Um, so it was like I was just thrilled to be a part of the team, and I wanted to be. Uh, an impact player. Um, and so I got into the weight room and, um, I kind of knew right away that linebacker probably wasn't going to be in the cards for me. I, I had uh, more of a head maybe for the D line. I don't know. Um, but I started, I knew I had a path on the D line if I, um, gained weight and lifted and, um, you know, it was back, it was back in the, in the, in the late eighties and early nineties, you know, there was the, um, the steroid thing where I was worried that steroids, that, that a player was going to be asked to, to do steroids. Um, and that was just never something I was going to be a part of. Um, and it was really cool because getting into, um, to see the level of testing that went in place, uh, at that school, um, and, knowing that when I got there, there was no, there was never even any talk. I didn't even know anybody that uh, did that. So that was a, a cool relief for me. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank President Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics, and that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up, certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university, and 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. This team was littered with guys that came in maybe undersized for, for the positions they eventually played or even came in at different positions and had to play, uh, had to end up switching. And we talked to Dave Kemper yeah. the other day, and he was saying, hey, I started wearing triple XL shirts when I was a redshirt freshman just praying that someday they might fit. And so, Kemper was one of those guys, yeah. So, it's so true. What, what it's was true. the process like, though? I mean, for you, how, how, did you, how did you put on the weight to go from a linebacker coming out of Butte to then a, eventually 265, well, so, 275? pound D tackle 
Well, so in 275 pounds was that was my junior year. By my senior year, I came in at 298 pounds because I really tried to hit 300. Man, I I tried to eat so many. And Kemfort and I were in a contest to try to see if we could out outweigh each other. Um, so it was hilarious. that was hilarious. But um, no, it's I, I they moved me to D end. Um, and then I knew that I, I would have a place when um, Lance Allen graduated that I might have a chance to be a, a D-tackle. And so that's where I, I really pushed my work to do it. But basically it was hamburgers. It was the uh, – Wendy's used to have that uh, junior bacon cheeseburgers <laughs> for 99 cents, and I would get a sack full of those, man, um, <laughs> on a regular basis. They used to have that bag of burgers on the corner of uh... – uh, what was it on South and South and Brooks Malfunction Jokes, where you could actually get a bag of hamburgers? Too. Yeah, and then there was Paul's Pancake Parlor, which you could have like the the plate sizes. You got their Mondo breakfast, and and you could just really put it down. But basically, you'd eat. I would eat constantly. Um, my girlfriend and wife now jokes about how we would sit and eat, uh, and then we would need to take a break, and then I would need to go back and eat some more. Um, but it was it was that, and then a lot of lifting. Rant, you know, um, I kind of have learned um, that hard work does pay off, and that's that's um, it's often doing the things that you don't want to do. There were so many times, like man, I didn't want to eat or didn't want to lift, and and you just keep on keep on doing it, and it gets you into that right space. So much of the most prominent memories of this uh, this group of guys comes from all the offensive production and the awesome quarterback and Dave Dickinson and everybody throwing the ball all over the place. But to me, some of the most fascinating parts is the cultivation of the guys that played on both of the lines. So you mentioned the eating part, but how about the weight room culture? I mean, I know Bruce Walwork is a legendary strength coach. So what was it like in the weight room and how much of an influence did he have, especially on you big guys helping getting you big and ready to go? Well, so we loved Bruce, man, and he, and he was solid. And he was such, a, such an old-school lifting just – get in there i picture rocky four when he's hitting you know hauling up right. sides of beef and everything else but uh i think where our group was special is it was it was an internal drive it was a mentality that that each of the guys had i mean uh you look at ryan thompson he was another one that came in uh undersized and skinny and and gosh the guy filled out and was able to keep his speed um and then Corey Falls came in as a um, you know running back and ended up needing to beef up to be a, the D end like crazy. Um, and then and then Riley, man, do uh, you just look at the Riley was a, a offensive guard in, in uh, high school, and uh, for him to come in and, and be just the, the stud defensive end is is awesome. You know, you break into the the starting rotation your sophomore season, and you guys have a, a great year and a, a great run there. But going into that '95 year, kind of establish yourself, you know, on the defensive line, on the defensive end, and getting a lot of opportunity. And now, you know, the the question about playing isn't really there. It's a question about how far can this team go? What are we capable of doing? What do you remember about going into that '95 team season, especially with your junior class, uh, one of the great classes in the history of the school i mean phenomenal group what was your expectation or your outlook like heading into that year you know um uh, for me the key pivotal point was youngstown ohio um and that was the 94 the last season we lost that semifinal game it was cold it was rainy and it felt like below zero. I've never been so cold in my life. And I played in Butte. I mean, it was cold. <laughs> right. um, and, and those guys, I, I just, I remember coming out of that game going, I'm not ever going to be in a situation where I'm being pushed around like that again. And it was, and I think every one of the guys that you would talk to would say, we made a determination at that point it was kind of the eye opener, like we could win this. And that, and that's was the, the change. And then we came through um, and 95 was such a special season. Gosh, you came in um, the effort that we put into Boise state. Cause we had got clobbered the year before. And we just, I remember that game vividly. We, we just came in and, and um, unleashed some whoop ass on those guys. And it was, that was so fun. Um, for me, what was crazy is I, I ended up then uh, in Idaho uh, breaking my arm, 
And so then that's where I um, – so I missed that second half of the season. My first game back was Stephen F. Austin. Oh, wow. Um, and, man, my arm was still – I had two pins put in it to kind of keep it from uh, – keep it stabilized. And uh, I remember, you know, you, you try to uh, – you can't really avoid contact on the defensive line. And so I, every hit was just shocking pain. Um but that's what we're coming to the very end, and you see that that national title. I mean, we were all in tears, and everyone was in tears for different reasons when we won um, against Marshall. But it was uh, that was something where to be able to come back and, and um, be a part of that was was really cool. We've heard from a lot of your former teammates about all the different obstacles and opponents that you had to conquer, whether it was Georgia Southern or whether it was Boise State or Idaho and, and all these teams. Yeah. But one team that – I, I love that you pointed to that Youngstown State game in 1994, though, because that Youngstown State team, because Youngstown State, after Jim Trestle left, uh, basically went down to just being an average FCS program again. But people forget that that team was – among the most dominant, greatest dynasties in the history of Division One AA football, they won national championships in '91, '93, '94, and '97. So, what do you remember? You remember playing and how cold it was. But what was the style of that team? What made those guys so tough? How come Jim Trestle had that thing rolling so hard at Youngstown State? Man, I don't know. I, you know, I remember the the part I remember is is I I felt like. Uh, they had their double teams down really good. <laughs> I, re- I just remember getting the, they were so physical. Um, and I, I personally felt pushed around and it was like, Oh man, that's, that's something I don't want to feel ever again. Um, but they just, it was solid. Um, I, I remember the, they just would march and it was just a, a deliberate march that, um, it was on us and it was, but, but at the same time, we felt like we, we felt like, man, we could, we could do this. Um, not that year, but, uh, but we it was, that was the opener for me, I guess. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more. We'll get into the the Marshall game here in a moment, but I'm interested in the dynamic of playing defense on this Grizzly team because so much is made of the offense and 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 Coach Reed and the scheme of it, and you know obviously with Dave Dickinson there, what the the opening it up and really, I mean in many ways the origination of a lot of what we see right now with spread offenses and things like that, but. Your defense was absolutely outstanding, especially that run through the playoffs at Washington Grizzly, 14 yep. points in three games. I think one of those has been a pick six. A lot of defensive guys are pretty pissed off, as a matter of fact, that that gets added to the number there on the on the wrong side of the ledger. But such a dominant <laughs> right. defense and Co- Coach Sowers, obviously. I mean, what, what was it like playing in that defense? What was the, the sort of scheme and plan that you guys would go into uh, in general with? So Sowers is, was an incredible motivator. Um, and he's still one of the one of the coaches I, I look to um, with with what he was able to. He just would add a little extra level of inspiration and and kind of fight to you. Um, and, and he had a toughness. I, our defense was just full of a bunch of characters, and and I think. You know, no offense to the offensive guys, but they tend to be more rigid and kind of strict, and they got to do follow the the <laughs> rules. And and defensive guys are kind of more rowdy and kind of more um, loose cannons. And and um, and I felt like he was able to take us as a as a bunch of kind of free minded players, and and would tap into those. Uh, tendencies and it made a, a very vicious defense. It didn't hurt that that Dicky and and the whole crew there would give us rest, right? Because because they would keep the field um, for a while, uh, except for when they would just throw a quick touchdown pass, give, give which wouldn't give us so much rest. But 
What do you remember about practice, though? Because, I mean, it, it, that season, I mean, you're playing every day against maybe the best offense in the country, right? So what, what was that like? Yeah. Uh, that was phenomenal. I mean, that's isn't that the greatest thing? Like, well, you've got you've got a top defense and a top offense. We made each other better. Um, um, I mean, I the the biggest competition that that the defensive line and offensive line would have, we would come up against each other in our one on one pass rushes, and that was it was like game day every day of practice when we would do one on ones. And what one on ones are for the listeners is when you uh, basically it's a it's a, a one offensive lineman against one defensive lineman and the defensive lineman tries to get to the quarterback. Um, and it's a quick, and it, I remember those getting so rowdy and we were all so competitive. Um, and I think honestly, though, that kind of attitude, that competitive spirit is kind of what pushed us. Of the interior offensive lineman that you most prevalently went against, who was the toughest matchup? Man, they were all so tough. Uh, honestly, like like Kempfer was just an incredible center. Um, Mike Agee was always uh, on it. Uh, Jeff Zellick, um, those guys were the ones that I can that that stood out to me. I, although I will say, like before this, um, when I would have to go up against Scott Gregg, because I was on the meat squad when Scott Gregg was, uh, and and before practice, he would make me run um, defensive end. You know, uh, against uh, play defensive end against him as he was passed, and I'm telling you that that was uh, getting hit by one of his punches was. Uh, so I would say of uh, he was one of the ones that that I remember the most. Take us through that 1995 regular season because I think that's fascinating that you got hurt in Idaho. So you guys have it rolling. You know, you have the great uh, outing at Washington State where you you take them down on the wire and then. Win a whole yeah. bunch of games in a row, but then you lose to Idaho, lose to your to your rival, basically. And I know Idaho fans still gloat about that to this day. You know they're the ones yeah. that beat the national champs. But from your seat, losing that game and then having to sit out until the playoffs—that must have been excruciating. Oh man, I I, I cried like a baby because I mean, and and a big part was because I knew what we were going to do. Um, I knew where we were headed. Uh, whether we whether we won or lost that game, I knew where we were headed. I think everyone on our team knew where we were headed, and um, and so that was like I, I made it my mission to get back as soon as I possibly could. Um, and that's why in the, in the surgery they said you know I had a choice of what to do, and and I chose two rods being stuck into the uh, bone so that I would. So that it would be more secure for when I when I got back. Uh, but man, I, it's, that was that was uh, some. I was oh, I was so mad, and it was it was broken by my own teammate too. It was uh, we were I I had just hit the ground at just the right time while uh, uh, somebody's legs came flipping around and hit me. You know that that playoff run uh, again, so impressive at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Those three games that that were just completely dominant, but also yes. cold, and also everything just absolutely rolling both both sides of the ball. The game's over at halftime. You finally make it back right for that Stephen F. Austin game. Then you go to Huntington, West Virginia, and you got Marshall, and it's a whole different animal by all accounts. Throw Washington State, Boise, Idaho, whoever. This is the best team you guys played this season for sure. And it was yep. a completely different style of game, as it turned out, than really what you'd had a lot of the season, and certainly in that playoffs. What do you remember just about that game as it as it started to unfold, and you realize, man, this is a low scoring defensive battle we're in right here. It, it is, and and the turf was different because you know we were playing on sloppy fields up until that point. Um, so the turf was different. Uh, the uh, they were aggressive, um, but it was. I just remember um, digging in. We 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 just knew we had to dig in. It was. I think. I think honestly, our defense was a little bit sh- shocked that the offense wasn't kicking into gear a little bit more. Um, you know, watching what was what was going on with those guys, that was like okay. Um, and I, and we kept coming to each other, saying, okay, we've got to do this. And and I think that's a for a defensive player, that's your mentality, anyways. Is um, it's going to come down to us not letting them score. Um, and and that's what we that's what we did. 
There was a uh, particularly big play in this football game that turned out to be actually the final margin of victory, a safety in the third quarter. And you and another Butte guy, Randy Riley, coming yeah. around the corner, getting to Chad Pennington. And uh, when we when we spoke with Randy, he said, man, I didn't even think we got a safety. I thought he threw the football, and, and that was what it was. <laughs> Take us through that play that turns out to be one of the iconic moments of the national championship game. Man, so it was a, a twist or a cross where um, where I would cut around where the defensive end would come in, and I and I would cut around, um, or actually that was it was the tackles that came. Sorry, but um, so we had a twist going on on the inside, um, and I remember making a move and coming around, and I'm with Randy. I I buried my head into him and I, I swore he would let, let go of the ball. And so we kind of got up just thinking that nothing, nothing was wrong or that we uh, had, it was an incomplete pass and then found out that it was, uh, that it was a safety. And I'm telling you, the sweet part about that is it was with uh, Randy Riley, who he and I went to Grizz camp together um, back in Butte when uh, from Butte anyway, and went to the the Grizz camp together, and then when we both got recruited and both ended up committing to UM, uh, we then became roommates, and uh, we would talk about because at that time I was a defensive end too, and uh, we would talk about man, wouldn't it be great if we could just come in together and make a sack in the end zone or uh, a sweet sack and and uh, and to when that actually happened, it was kind of a, it was really surreal. I, uh, I think we were all emotional and, uh, and that was, but at that point we just still in the game didn't know how crucial that was. Right. I think, I think we were just ready for the next play, ready for what was next. But looking back now, it's like, wow, the fact that that actually happened and we were able to, to do that together is is pretty awesome. See now, Brian, I think we need to now we need to go rent out a bar in Butte and have you guys tell that story to the masses twenty five years later. Embellish as much as you like. I think there's no better <laughs> no, no no better place you could retell a glory days story for twenty five years later than Butte when it's two Butte guys making the sack. Uh, you know, I did read an article that that is the uh, it's the it's Chad Pennington's worst memory of a college. So I, we could, we could take, <laughs> I thought, I thought, Oh, I took, we took pride in that. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot, connect to more. So that you're... You, you, you get it. That 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 ends up being a great deciding moment, or a, a, a moment that helps keep you guys a little bit ahead. But then it's a down to the wire game. You're going back and forth, going back and forth. But as a defensive guy, when Montana has the ball, they're marching down the field. Then all of a sudden, Andy Larson's lining up for the kick. What are you doing? Where's Brian Tune at? Where are you at on the sidelines? Are you watching? Are you not watching? What's going through your mind? When I'm, Andy I'm, I'm, hold, I'm holding hands with my buddies, and I'm not even looking. <laughs> I'm, I'm on. I'm a knee on the field, and I'm. I'm like. I think I'm grabbing two different people's legs or arms, or um, and just I couldn't look because there was there was nothing more we could do, and and that is uh, I think you know I. I started watching football games as a fan after it was all, you know, after everything is over. And I'm like, man, how do you guys do this? This, this was, it's, when you have no control over the game, it is really aggravating <laughs> and, <laughs> and frustrating to watch. And, and makes you, it's nerve-wracking. And that was what I felt uh, waiting for Andy to, kick, to make that kick. Well, and all the way to Earhart's catch. I mean, I think it was like oh, looking away during that too. You know, the I've, thing too, though, is that 
after that kick went through, you actually did have to go in and 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 really finish it off. I mean, 39 seconds, we still, did. you know, a fair amount of time. So, what was it like to go back on the field with the lead, but no, man, we got we got to make a few more plays to actually finish this thing off. I, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> I, honestly, like it's like it's that's all like a haze. I, I I remember the kick. I remember the the field. I remember jumping and and uh, but that that those final moments uh, were just like your stomach just so tight, and that's all I could describe it as is just and so the- preparing. The gun sounds and it's official, and of course now the real chaos ensues because no one, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. People running around, you know, just like uh, amoebas in a petri dish or something like this on the field, and and so on and so forth. What do you recall about just the sort of celebration, and, and even more than that, really your emotion because there's so much anticipation to do a thing, right? And then when it's done, it's like what? Well, and to be to be the um, first. University of Montana team to to do that. I think that was it was like that's where for all of us we were like this happened. We did this. We it, and it was um there were more blubbering crying grown men out there on that field. Um and just, you know, it, it was like the perfect I love you, man. Man, I love you, man. It, it was just a love fest. I just that's what I remember. It's like everybody was just loving everybody. Then there were random fans you'd never even seen or you're hugging everybody or it was it was uh it was pretty cool. It was pretty special. When you uh get on the plane and come back to Missoula. Now, we've heard a bunch of di- – now, there, let's put it like this. There was a bunch of different planes flying between Huntington and Missoula, and the experiences on some of them were very different from the experiences on other ones. But we've heard that the, the team plane was actually pretty quiet, like it was finals week and guys were studying and that kind of thing. What do you remember about the so flight quiet. home and then landing? It was, yeah. So the, the flight home was super quiet. I think we were just uh, – we were spent – we celebrated, like, you know, you cheer, and then – the plane ride was quiet. From what I heard, the other charter planes were not so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we might have had more fun on the other charter planes, from what I hear. Uh, but pulling in and seeing uh, all of the Montana folks uh, meeting us at the airport, um, it was it was surreal. And I think all of us were just looking at each other, saying, "Soak this in, soak this in." And and I, so it wasn't lost on anybody what was what was happening because it was we were all just kind of looking at each other and and um and and reminding ourselves to to just breathe it all in what did you take in the most like what was the moment either that night or over the next couple of days i mean i know there's the function you know at the at the adam center in dahlberg and and you know downtown if you went and all that kind of what was this thing that stands out to you the most in the ensuing you know couple of days getting back to missoula you know um for for me the, the that was all that was all nice and and fun and and the the all of the kind of the pomp and circumstance of being back um being there on that field for me is like just the iconic moment that's like seared into my into my brain so all of the other stuff was like a different thing to do or a different place to and and it was fun to see um you know, to bring it back to the fans that weren't able to to make it there, but for just my personal experience, that that field ending, um, you just I just you, I just wanted to stay on my pads forever. You know, that off season uh, takes a, a a surprise turn a couple months after the fact with the retiring of uh, of Coach Reed, and yeah. you're also entering in now. No longer the hunter, but the hunted, right? As in that defending yeah. national champion. So, coach, uh, coach Delaney steps up. He becomes a head coach, and and so everything is sort of, sort of everybody moves over one seat to the left or something like that, right? Where it's all internal. But what do you remember about that offseason going into the '96 year without you know without Coach Reed being there, but also knowing, hey, we still got a uh, an unbelievably good football team here. Well, and that's, I think that was what we felt. I mean, we're so sad to see Coach Reed go. I mean, he's, he's the one that, um, that, that saw us all through, saw us into the, our freshman year, the greenhorns in the dorms that didn't know what the heck we were doing. 
um, and and just his great demeanor and, and personality. Hey, guy. Hey, I mean, he's just just a special guy. Um, but we felt like we were in good hands with Dennehy, another Butte guy, um, and and we it felt like we were the same team. It felt like we were. In fact, uh, I'd say a lot of us felt like we were stronger, like we felt more confident, like we, um, and, and, uh, I think that played through the season, but I, I don't know. I certainly felt my strongest. I felt my best. I felt like, um, as a team, we were going to be able to pull this thing off. There was, there was no doubt, um, that we would be able to. The fact that the staff remained largely intact as well, with the exception of Coach Hugh, did, did that give you guys a, a sense of comfortability as well? I think it did. I, I absolutely, because um, it's everybody had their same position coach. Um, it was um, the same assistants, the same um, you know crew, the same uh, I guess uh, philosophy. Um, seemed like from the players i don't know what it was like behind the scenes but um but for the players it it felt like it was like it was our crew you mentioned aside from the color being different yeah right yeah (laughs) how about that all of a sudden you're wearing completely different jerseys i remember that was a huge outcry at first Man, I was I was mad at first because it's like, man, we just we just brought a national title home to these colors, and we don't get to even wear them for a, a year. So, and and I was, you know, some would say those were ugly colors or they, they were hard to match, but uh, I always liked the character of that. Yeah. But I'm I'm falling in love with the maroon now too. You mentioned uh, maybe having a, a greater sense of belief coming into 96 because you had done it, you had reached the mountaintop, but also a different dynamic in terms of the way opponents look at you. It's no longer the upstart Grizzlies. It's no longer you know this team that's trying to become a nationally elite program. Instead, you guys are the reigning no, national true. champions. You're number one in the country. So what was that shift like? You know, that, that was I, – I think we enjoyed it. I think we really, really liked it because it was like we wanted people to to bring it to us. We wanted to bring on. I mean, I, it's funny. I we re, I remember, um, you know, our freshman and sophomore year that we were barely filling the stands, um, and they had the grass end zone where a couple people would sit. Um, and by our senior year, to to have the that the end zones built in to have uh, the fans like full seats. The energy that the fans brought and continue to bring um, was such fuel um, going into that season because there was just this anticipation that that we were going to roll and and we really did relatively through through the majority of that season um, and it was it, it was just the unity of the team itself um, the coaches um, and man the fans belief it was it was that was that was cool. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second-ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. You can only ever do something the first time once, and you guys did it in 95 and then went back again in 96. 
And really from that moment, the University of Montana football program was a juggernaut and, and, and the program at the FCS or 1AA level for 15 years and is still a nationally elite level program. Yeah. When you think about your place, you personally and your team in the history of Montana football, what do you think about? You know, that's the part where I'll tell you it probably hasn't sunk in. Um, I mean, we, we kind of, and, and I, I, when we talk with all the guys and, and we, we know how special our, our team was and we felt like, you know, um, the, how we feel about each other is pretty, you know, um, important, special. And, but this, I think this, the older I get, um, the more it's sinking in. It's like each year it sinks in a little bit more, um, and that'd be my message to these young kids that are coming in and, and playing is, is sometimes you don't realize the impact of, of what you're doing when you're in it. Um, and that's because as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm finding, man, there's, there's more kind of pieces to this that, that keep falling into place and you're going, wow. And, and it, and, and I guess you don't really realize the, the full scope of everything but that's what age is right is to give us wisdom absolutely muscles i think (laughs) yeah i think so i'm with that for sure do you have a definitive best memory from the 95 season or do you have a just uh, a broad sense of the impact and influence that it had on your life um the safety with randy um coming out of and I think for me it's it's because I came back from a broken arm I was playing that game with such pain and 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 doing that was pretty um that was like for me it kind of it set me on a path of 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 knowing that belief is more important than anything else mm. and when you graduated the University of Montana you uh, landed back in Spokane, kind of where you had started, yep. and and got into the family business, if I understand it correctly. So tell the people what yeah. you've been up to now for these last uh, decade and a half. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I own Jewelry Design Center um, in Spokane, and I just recently opened up a location in the Tri Cities, Washington, as well. Um, but basically, we do diamonds, uh, engagement rings, anniversary bands. We custom create and manufacture. Um, jewelry of all shapes and sizes and and um so we do repairs plus we we do new stuff we sell watches um and it's it's you know in in anything in business you have a team as well and and i think i'm taking all that football stuff and and bringing it to kind of the workplace um and it's been fun because that competitiveness makes you want to do things a little bit better the next year makes it makes you want to change things or innovate or um I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, though. I have uh, so I started coaching football. I coached from 2014 to 2018. Uh, just not a head coach, but a, a assistant coach. I was a um, defensive line coach for Northwest Christian in Spokane. And uh, there was one of my players. He said, uh, "Tune, what'd you lose a bet? How'd you get into jewelry?" <laughs> so I always think that's. A, like, because he, he says, you're coming in yelling at us going, hey, you got to do this. And he says, what the heck? What, did you lose a bet? I just thought that was because, uh, you know, when we, most most of the guys would not see me necessarily as a jeweler, but uh, I, I have a little bit of that artistic ability. And so in the designing and kind of creating, it's it's been a passion of mine. Overall, do you feel like, your time as a Grizzly was impactful for you? And if so, how? I mean, how has that set the stage for everything that's happened since your time at the University of Montana? Man, I, you know, you, you almost can't put that into words. It's, um, and I think when, when we talk with each other, the players, um, we kind of talk about how um, this is a rare thing, uh, what we had and, and what we you know, went through together and, um, and the relationships that we created, built, um, is not necessarily what you experience in everyday college careers. Um, and I think especially today, it's, it's even more challenging as, as, um, you know, the, the stakes are higher and, and 
things digitally are changing and everything else. Um, when you find that camaraderie that um, that you can do more as a group and as a team than you than you can do individually. I know, I know we went into games where where we were the underdogs athletically, um, but but because we worked better together, um, we came out victorious. And and that's probably my number one takeaway from um, my time at Montana is. Um, that kind of grit and toughness, right? That a little bit of Butte, a little bit of Missoula, and um, kind of make it, being able to make things make things happen, and and knowing that um, if you can work on that, the environment, the the people part, um, the success is going to come. By way of Spokane. Yeah. Shasta, California, Corvallis, and Butte, Montana, University of Montana, Grizz great Brian Toon. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was was a fun stroll down memory lane. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series, commemorates Montana's epic run to its first national crown. Now, you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompanying this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 19. Secure this limited edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley, visit rbagley3.com or check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and t-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today. You have been listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Be on the lookout for more episodes as they are released through the rest of the 2020 calendar year and into 2021. Our thanks in this episode to Brian Toon for joining us for the conversation. For Coulter Nuanas, I'm Ryan Tutel. Until next time, thanks for listening.